Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from Western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Class is in session, and today we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop RPGs, and just the studio hyper RPG that puts all sorts of great things together. As always, I'm your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the absolute privilege of welcoming an award-winning game designer, a kick-ass chef, and one of the co-founders and CEO of Hyper RPG, the group focusing on leading the way with interactive live content, inclusivity, magical tabletop experience, and of course, a fellow sheep apparent. Welcome, Malika Lim Eubank. How's it going, Malika? Oh my goodness. I haven't been described as magical, but I like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's going great. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good day. It's the weekend. We were talking earlier. Yeah. Weekends are too short, but uh, yeah, nice to just take it easy. But yes, welcome. I know. I imagine you are crazy busy with all the stuff you guys put together out in Hyper over at Hyper. So thank you so much for taking time to just uh, tell me a bit about uh, stuff. So I guess to start off for people that might not know uh, who you are or what Hyper RPG is, what's 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 the shtick? What is? Oh, I, you know, we're always trying to reinvent this thing. But um, basically, Zach, who is my husband, uh, we founded Hyper Almost six years ago in November was kind of when we started talking about founding hyper. Um, so November this year will be like six years. Um, and we uh, I'm a game designer and Zach was running Twitch production over at Legendary Digital. And we were really passionate about using Twitch to create live interactive content. Um, Twitch is really special to us, uh, live streaming in general, but for us, it's Twitch because of the open API, uh, to develop things for the chat room. Um, but we wanted to create these like shared storytelling moments. And so that's the core of what we wanted hyper to be even before we did our first live stream and what we continue to strive for today. Um, we're mostly known for our tabletop RPG actual plays, but we do a lot of other stuff too. Um, we've traveled across the country and around the world, um, asking the audience, where do you want to go and what do you want to do? I do interactive cooking segments. Uh, we've done talk shows, interview shows, um, ARGs, LARPs, all sorts of fun, uh, nerdy stuff, but uh, the core pillars over at Hyper are um, kind of uh, nerdy, passionate outlook to anything we do. Lots of fun. And it has to be like for and driven by and with the community. And of course, thank you for highlighting um, our passion and dedication to inclusivity in the space. 
Oh, of course. It, it's such an important part. And um, I love all the people that you bring on, like a bunch of uh, people I've met outside who I didn't know on Hyper, I, who I've become friends with, Emily Rose Jacobson, Scott mm-hmm. Rubin, um, Jessica Lynn Verdi. I all met like at PAX and through others. And then I realized they were they've been featured on Hyper. And just to see how front facing and forward you are about that, that's a very important aspect of Hyper is is so great to see. Um <laughs> Yeah, we're always continuing, uh, continuously, <laughs> adverbs, uh, we're always trying to continue workshopping that, right? There is, because like inclusivity is not a destination, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can't just get on an, an airplane. I've, I've decided to go to the island of diversity <laughs> and now I'm here, you know, it's, it's always an evolving conversation. Just this week, I, I put out two tweets that meant a lot to me, which is two ways that we have tried to uh, be inclusive. Uh, one way is through my own personal experience. I have been in situations where I'm like the only person of color in the room Mm -hmm. or I'm the only non-male in the room. And that kind of feels awful. And it feels more awful in an improvised live storytelling setting, which is the kind of content we make. Because if like somebody says something like, um, strange or like prejudiced you're looking around to be like am i crazy or was that you know uh kind of maybe like kind of racist or something but there's like nobody to make eye contact with and you feel like well i guess that's just the way the world works so Mm -hmm. um on our group you know, it's tough if it's a live stream with one person, but on our group live streams, I try to make sure that there's more than one of a person of color is like kind of the obvious one. But also oftentimes, you know, there's more than one person who identifies in like LGBTQIA, mm-hmm. more than one person who identifies as non-male, that kind of thing. And then in addition to that, we've done a couple of different RPG actual plays where the entire cast is all Asian or all black or all, you know, Latinx. Um, And I'm very proud of those too, because then they feel this comfort of, they don't have to explain or Mm -hmm. pre-qualify, you know, their character. And it's really moving to see that come together. I I wish like I could show like some of the behind the scenes, but you know, they have to have some safety before we hit live stream and go live. But, um, wow. Like, you know, for one of our RPGs that we did like that, um, you know, some of the players were like, this is the first time I've been surrounded by like, you know, all Latinos and Latinas, or this is like going to be amazing or, you know, talking about auntie and uncle culture amongst Asians. It's, really incredible and it brings an energy to that room that I think comes across. Um, well, I, I know it comes across on camera because in the chat room and later we've gotten letters and DMs and emails from people who are thanking us for, um, finally representing them and people who look like them 
um, in the TTRPG space. So I'm, I'm very proud of that work. And those are just two ways you can do inclusivity. Yeah, um, it, it's it's always so exciting to see what new project you all put together there um, and how you focus and work it in. And it's always so beautifully well done. So kudos to you and the rest of the team there for doing such a fantastic job with it. And um, it never feels or comes across as like you're checking a box or that you're doing it just to do it and not because you genuinely care about the the whole experience and what you're trying to do. Um, It all of it feels very genuine and and well done. So. Um, well, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad actually that you bring that up, that checking the box, because I'm a 90s kid, you know, mm-hmm. famously or maybe infamously. <laughs> I love Power Rangers, right? You and me both. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, there was that like the rainbow kid thing, you know, oh, you got an Asian one, black one, uh, Latino yeah. one or like maybe ambiguously brown one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the white people get to be the main characters or even Magic School Bus or Barney, you know, and um, or Captain. Um, I almost Captain said Captain Planet. America. Cap- yeah, Captain Planet. Yeah. Um, and those were great. And I, I did see myself in those Asian characters. It was really important to me. And I don't I don't know if you realize this. I I did some research because I was um, I was working on a game that we were submitting to Intel for their kind of a diversity initiative. And uh, the diversity actually went down in children's media after that era. So in the like early aughts, I guess that's what we call them now, early 2000s, there were more characters that were animals and like aliens and robots and monsters and things like that, like Invader Zim, it was that Mm -hmm. era. And so um, with that like fun time in cartoons, it was great. I love all those shows, but we lost a lot of um, kind of representation. Mm -hmm. And... um, The reason why I emphasize the word inclusivity more than diversity is I'm not trying. Well, I don't want to like people aren't crayons, you know, like I'm not trying to complete my crayon box, but I will take note of, hey, you know what? Like we we have Asians, but not as many South Asians or like where are my indigenous folks? Uh, I don't think we've ever had a Aborigine player on our channel, you know, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll take note of those things. And um, but I'm not like actively seeking like, hey, we've never had somebody yeah. wear their religious headdress to the channel. And I want that to be seen because I don't have that crayon in yeah. our color box. Like we're you know, we're looking at the space yeah. and we're looking at who um who needs representation and also who's coming to us you know yeah you're not making it so it's like a a selling point or something to stick on an ad it's like oh now featuring x individual or something you're like i mentioned it's a genuine this is you think it would be fun you want this to be uh displayed and kind of shown off but you're not doing it as a so you can collect the crayon or put it a mark in your sticker book kind of thing from the mm-hmm. old 90s era 
we thought everything had sticker books. Um, one one thing I do want to bring up, I love to tell this story because uh, I was so inspired. If if I may, of course. <laughs> uh, one my last one of my last notes because a lot a lot of times people come to me and they're like, "Hey, how can we be more?" Um, you know, the the term is DEI, diverse, equ- equitable, and inclusive at our company, at our game studio, in our games, that kind of thing. And uh, you mentioned like a marketing piece or a sticker or something. Um, there was a wonderful thumper. That's what we call like followers and fans of hyper Mm -hmm. who met us at a convention and she's transgender. And she said, I, I want to see more, um, LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQIA, um, people on your streams. You guys talk about diversity and inclusivity and that kind of thing. And we talked about, oh, but there are, and then we like listed kind of to her, um, just our queer GMs, mm-hmm. you know, and she had no idea, but that is something that's very hard to talk about because on pride month, you know, a lot of people will wear like rainbow stuff and you're, uh, that's awesome. And I love that. And I feel like it's gay Christmas. <laughs> like <laughs> it's amazing, but Like, you know, there's a long history of putting actual labels on people like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to. Okay, you're gay. So can you wear this rainbow pin at our table? So it's it's, sometimes it's a little hard um, to or like invisible disability. That's something that I care a lot about. Um, But like, you know, I can't like put that on the overlay, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) like how am I supposed to signal the people that we care about that thing without like outing a personal identity? (laughs) So it's, it's tough to, so personal of color, it's like, it's very obvious. Like I, I talk about all the time. I can't unzip my skin, you know, (laughs) like, um, Asian here, (laughs) that's me. (laughs) But, uh, these other things that we care deeply about or, um, religious representation, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I care about those things too, or are, um, our mixed race friends, you know, maybe they're white passing, but they have a strong cultural identity. So those things are tougher to, um, let the greater good know about, yeah. but we, you know, we're still very dedicated to, uh, to, to trying to increase representation in those areas too. For sure. And I, I can't wait to see how you guys continue to do so. Um, kind of touching on just the sheer amount of things that Hyper has done. You you play Warhammer 40K. Uh, you did the Warhammer 40K RPG. You do magic. You've summoned T-Pain. You've done interviews with people. <laughs> Uh, Thank you for highlighting T-Pain. Of course. 1,914 <laughs> times is what it takes to summon him, apparently. Um, you did the fantastic trailer reaction with Zach with Nicolas Cage's new Oscar award-winning Must Be Pig trailer. Um, <laughs> uh, the Rat Queens, the D&D meets pro wrestling. Um, the Emmy-nominated Walking Dead universe is you guys uh, are behind. Well, well, I I don't know if we're nominated. We're shortlisted. Oh, okay. it's a long journey to get to just the Emmy nom, but we're that much closer. Okay, my mistake, my mistake. Uh, but no, you've done 
one-offs you've done the witcher rpg you've done cooking streams like you you were in a cooking competition uh yep uh you've done uh coloc 1991 you guys do you did a giant jenga tournament where people just constantly messed with zach it was (laughs) it's like how do you guys pick what you do do you have like a random board you just chuck darts at it's like with a bunch of verbs and adjectives and different boards it's like okay this is what we're going to do let's let's turn it into something i'm glad you asked that because you know we're gamers at heart which i think that means you love fun Mm -hmm. so we are kind of driven by our hearts and what we think is fun um first of all However, we don't just uh, throw tarts at a board, even though it seems like it sometimes because I I want to promote a culture of um, experimentation and Mm -hmm. what Jeff Bezos calls wandering, you know, wandering in our work. That's really important because that's where you can innovate and create new stuff because we want to be on the forefront of innovation because following just trends is kind of boring uh not really stimulating to me but there is a process and i don't get to talk about this very often so thank you for asking of course so this is the process um we outlined three internal pillars about a year and a half ago i think Because we get a lot of pitches from people, you know, some of the people that you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, like Emily Rose Jacobson and uh, Jessica and Scott, they'll come to us with ideas. I'll come to myself with my own ideas. Zach will come to me. I will come to him, our own crew, Lucas, Wes, Kaylee, Silviana. They're all fantastic. Um, And so to kind of even decide if we will take the time to consider something, because time is so precious Mm -hmm. at our studio, we ask, is it nerdy? Um, Is it passionate slash fun? You know, like it's always fun to even just listen to somebody uh, talk about something passionately, Mm -hmm. whether they love to hate it or they love to love it (laughs) and it how does it involve the community is it community driven so those three things we look at and if it doesn't include those three pillars we don't take the time to consider it because you gotta you gotta start focusing somewhere Mm -hmm. In addition, we are studying Google Trends. That is the nature of any smart content creator on the Internet right now. What are people Googling? Uh, What are people making? What's working? What's not working? Um, They say 50% of startups fail in the first five years. And we've been going strong for more than five years now. And I credit that to... We've been very scrappy and we're always iterating on our all our processes. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have a very short runway. If something's not working, I'm not a major media company. I cannot keep trying it for, you know, months and months or even years and years. If it's not working like almost immediately, I have to move on. Or I have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out what's uh, not working fast. So it's a, it's a constant, um, 
kind of polishing of the mm-hmm. stone, but also a constant checking of is the stone a turd <laughs> and not being precious of I thought it was my baby, but it's just poop. <laughs> yeah, you got to love something enough or be aware enough when something's not working. And it, this goes yeah. for any content creator or artist or so many people nowadays. It's you have to know when to step back and really judge things with a, a critical eye, especially when you make it your livelihood. Um, yes, absolutely. I got to I got to keep the Sheba fed. <laughs> yeah, Shebas are incredibly fickle beings. Uh, I know mine is. She's incredibly sassy. So uh, very they're very particular creatures. I mean, I'm saving up for my dog's college fund. You know, he deserves that that opportunity. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, but I also want to maybe to provide some value here sure. um, for other creators out there. Outline those core pillars so that you're not considering other ideas or your own ideas if they don't align with your values, Mm -hmm. because we're emotional beings and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to do this show about dolls because I love dolls. And um, I'm not considering about like, how can I get other people who are passionate about dolls on the show? How can the community be involved in this? You know, like all those kinds of things. Um, In addition, how do you know if it's a stone you're polishing, maybe a gemstone or like maybe this is a turd, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, One of the metrics that we um, look at is we compete against ourselves and we're looking for traction and growth. So we don't go and we say, hey, the first episode has to have at least 200 concurrence. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Instead, we look at the first episode. All right. That's the, the starting point. Did the next episode get more or less viewers? What about the following episode? So we're looking for growth there. Um, we're also looking at the team who's creating it, like the players at the table. I'm using mostly the TTRPGs live plays because I think that's where most people are like curious, you know, Mm -hmm. are they growing in their like acting and character exploration and expression? Is the GM story growing? Like we're always kind of growth and forward looking Mm -hmm. and, if there's a kind of stifling of growth there, it's my responsibility as CEO and kind of like leader at Hyper to remove those roadblocks, um, whether they be financial, uh, personal. I do kind of a lot of HR, people management. Do you feel comfortable to do your job kind of stuff? Um, kind of uh, strategic you know, does it just need yeah. more marketing support? Like all, all sorts of things like that. But that's my personal kind of plan of attack for everything that we make here. Very cool. Very cool. Now, my first exposure to Hyper was with, and you mentioned it, uh, your passion, your love of it is earlier, but was with Hyperforce, your Power Rangers tabletop uh, live play series that you did. Um how did, how did something like that come around? I mean, Power Rangers is such an iconic brand. How did you kind of approach them for it or did they come to to you folks? Uh well, what was awesome 
is, and this is true with a lot of our brand partnerships now, is they start off as viewers in our own chat room. So I'm very proud to say that, um, and I cannot take all the credit for this. This is my team, okay? Oh, yeah. I think because we innovate, other people in the industry are always paying attention. Sometimes they say something in the chat room, but most of the time I call them my professional workers. Okay. So these professionals, oftentimes other content creators or maybe brand marketing reps or development kind of people in the industry, they're watching our live streams. They're paying attention to what Hyper is doing because Hyper is the one that's constantly doing that, um, field research for Mm -hmm. the industry. Okay. And uh, they hit us up and they were a fan of pencils and parsecs. And they were like, why don't you do something like this for the Power Rangers brand? We're coming up on our 25th anniversary and uh, we're, we're using some, some money, some resources to create all sorts of experiences for the fans. And we have a group of fans we call legacy fans. They're people just like me. They grew up watching Power Rangers and now their children are experiencing Power Rangers for the first time. And so they're watching the show with their children, but it's still a kid's show. And now we're using things like the comic books to create content for our legacy fans. Mm -hmm. How can Power Rangers be a brand like Marvel or DC where there's something for the children and the adults? And I mean, pretty much like they, I love Power Rangers. We were going to make it work. And so from then it was just like same, uh, same motive, same mission, same love. And then it all just kind of came together. Um, you know, there's logistical things, contracts, money, um, then the casting, who's going to be involved? What are the main storylines? Uh, what does the show need to have? So honored to have the actual guy that makes Power Rangers um, theme songs make one for us. And yeah, uh, one foot in front of the other. It was. It was a crazy year in my life because let me let me tell you, like, from my perspective, you had the cross section of me secretly developing that Mm -hmm. then publicly running the game while behind the scenes writing and submitting the episode stuff every week to Saban brands and um, keeping up with what the what my crazy players not like they were crazy, (laughs) but the crazy things that my players were doing and then. Um, I, so I did that like kind of one day a week to, uh, GM that. And then I also kind of had a full-time job. I was designing amusement park games at this micro amusement park called two bit circus based in Los Angeles. So, um, four days a week, I went into the office to design this amusement park and the games there. And one day a week I was running the hyperforce RPG and then, uh, after work, I would be like helping out with anything at hyper. Um, you know, I was like a runner, a PA, a janitor, you know, and then also a writer on Hyperforce. And then I was also planning my wedding. <laughs> How was that all? During that. Yeah. During that time and my honeymoon. And so like, 
it was one of the most stressful times in my life. And I would wake up every morning to wash my face and brush my teeth. And I would look in the mirror and I would wonder why hadn't my hair all fallen out? You know, <laughs> like, like, I feel like I'm breaking, but I look like I'm okay. So I'm just going to keep swimming. Yeah. As, as someone who uh, is currently going through the wedding planning process for our, uh, my wedding in October, uh, I can only imagine then juggling everything else you were doing uh, right? for it. But no, it was so cool seeing like how you guys got Paul Schreier, original bulk uh, back yeah. for a character, having Ron, like you mentioned the theme song from Ron Wasserman uh, and the other uh, former Rangers and the cameos you all had on was it was so exciting to see each week what was going to happen and who was going to be brought on. Um, oh, yeah. I I think like I got to thank Saban Brands for the whole 25th anniversary thing, mm-hmm. because it allowed us to create a season that celebrated it all. And there are so many eras in Power Rangers. You got the Saban era. You got the Disney era. You got the Neo Saban era. Now we're entering the Nickelodeon era. It's mm-hmm. it's so exciting. And it's I mean, what an inclusive message, right? Oh, yeah. Um, To have people from uh, like, you know, different body types, different genders, different, you know, racial and ethnic identity. Plus, you know, when did you uh, join like the Power Rangers fandom, you know? For me, like 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. For other people, yesterday, you know? Mm -hmm. I was. So that was like fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, like as a I was right there with you I was a 90s kid I was born in 88 so I grew up with Power Rangers like I remember the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie like when that in theaters and how big of a deal that was I remember the special um, season two uh, part where they were transitioning from Zed to from Rita to Zed and how it's like every Mm -hmm. week you got one episode and it's like oh man uh, what's gonna happen and Tommy losing his powers and then just going on and on from it, like within space and the whole Zordon arc and then bring that all to a close. It, um, I, I, I am an equally large, uh, Power Rangers fan. I've even, um, my, my nephews are starting to get into Power Rangers. So, yes. so getting them the <laughs> Megazord and I'm the cool uncle because I have the, uh, like the legacy edition, like Saba and Zeo mm-hmm. power staff, power sword and all these things. Um, and one of them even thinks that I, I am a Power Ranger. I, I've, he, he's young. It's like, you have a, you have a morpher. And it's like, can you morph right now? It's like, no, there's not a monster attacking. So I, I can't just use my powers to like, as, as a carnival, uh, attraction. So no, I can't, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's hilarious. It reminds me, I, um, um, martial arts is really big in my family. And, um, I think that's probably why I love Power Rangers too. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, karate is cool. And I love hip hop keto, <laughs> but uh, I had a, I had a, an uncle, technically my cousin, but anybody older than me that was male was like my uncle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was, he had convinced me that he was in the Mortal Kombat movies, you know? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's not that wonderful to like experience these like nerdy fun things through children's eyes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's so it's, cool it's to, magical. It's so cool to be old enough and to see it starting again, like the, yeah. the legacy content, like being able to experience with the new generation or the new series of Power Rangers. It's like, oh, that's 
that's your first series. That's that's going to be a special one for you. And being able to look back. And it's the same with like Pokemon um, and, and Power Rangers and all these things. It's like uh, it makes me so happy. Yes. And that's why I like sometimes I get annoyed at Twitter. OK, I, I get annoyed at Twitter a lot. But like, for example, they're rebooting the new Rugrats show and people are like, not my Rugrats. And I'm like, it isn't. It's for the kids. Mm-hmm. Let the ki- like this new generation like have their fun, too. Damn it. Yeah. Come on. That's not what the Rugrats are about. <laughs> Reptar wouldn't want you to act like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. But I'm curious. So we've talked a lot about hyper and what hyper means. I want to what's your background in kind of gaming? What? got you really into gaming growing up were you like primarily just tabletop and like board games and stuff or were you also big in video games like what's your gaming story um my gaming story whoa uh so tabletop i want to say is kind of a newer thing for me but then uh my favorite game to play with my grandma was monopoly and i was a child competitive chess player oh wow and i like I I don't like this division between like mainstream board games mm. and like whether or not, you know, I don't know, like Catan or something, you yeah. know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess what's my gaming story? Um, well, there's the one that I always tell, which is I, I, I I'm going to back it up a little bit. So I had mostly male cousins. They were my, my older male cousins and they had the super Nintendo. They had the Sega Saturn and I played street fighter when like they would babysit me. I would play street fighter with them and I would just button mash and I Mm -hmm. had like Chun-Li and it was a lot of fun, but, uh, it really came like full circle. And I think I became a gamer when I was about nine because my parents gave me a Nintendo 64 and like, God bless my parents. I don't even know if I believe in God, but God bless them because, um, they never saw video games as a boy's thing. Mm-hmm. And they never saw video games as a rot your brains thing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, mom and dad. So they bought me a Nintendo 64 and it was the uh, version that came with Super Mario 64. And that video game for sure locked my future into becoming a game designer mm-hmm. because that game was rad. Oh, yeah. Miyamoto did a masterful job. To this day, game designers are still talking about, well, it was so smart. Uh, When we jumped from 2D to 3D games, he created a character to teach the player. This is how you control the camera. What a genius move. Mm -hmm. Now this is so obvious. There's game literacy. There's AAA games. Nathan Drake's chest hair has physics on it. But back then... Wow, you know, amazing stuff. But this is what really sealed the deal. Okay, so I would go to school and I was in elementary school and I, you know, that's when you have to learn a lot of vocabulary. I don't know if you remember when you're nine and there were spelling lists. Okay, and then I sucked at reading. So I was a hooked on phonics kid. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, you know, all about um, my spelling list and stuff. Mm -hmm. And. 
as soon as I came home, I want to play my Nintendo 64. And my parents are like, did you study your spelling list yet? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And they're like, when you study, uh, when you finish your spelling list, then you can play your Nintendo 64 and you play Mario. I'm like, oh, okay. And while I was studying and practicing, my parents would be playing my Mm -hmm. video games together, you know, and they would be discussing Mario on kind of an adult level. They'd be <laughs> like, um, wow, did you notice like, man, this level is designed in a way where you're going to fall a lot. But they put a heart here because they know you're going to be taking a lot of damage and they don't want you to just have to replay the whole level just to get to this one uh, part that's difficult. Or they would talk about like, "Ooh, look at this level. Um, All the water um, levels have their own soundtrack. uh, What a beautiful soundtrack here. Or uh, listen to the sound of, you know, like they were analyzing it on a kind of advanced level especially for like not game designers uh but you know adults they were talking have about the design brains. of it like the- yes <laughs> yes and like my parents have always respected art and i think mm-hmm. they've um like if they had been born now i think my dad would have been some kind of maker architect and my mom would have been like a comic book artist or something you know um but they've always respected art maybe it's a part of our culture um, and so something clicked in my brain that the people who make games are smart and worthy of praise. Yeah. Because my parents recognize that the people who design games are smart and worthy of praise. You know, mm-hmm. like my father has always been a huge Pixar fan, but also like sometimes watching a funny commercial on TV, he'd be like, man, the people who write commercials are smart, you know? And so I think, yeah, they would love if I had become a doctor or engineer, you know, I'm an immigrant child. Uh, I got a lot of that growing up too, but it wasn't dumb of me to go pursue art, at least not in the, um, like your core intelligence kind of way. Mm-hmm. Were they like, uh, Malika, it's going to be pretty rough and you have to be super good to make any money. Yeah, they had that talk with me, but <laughs> they didn't disrespect art. And mm-hmm. so I super appreciate my parents for being that because I have a lot of art friends who haven't had that kind of support. So, yeah, no, thank you, mom and dad. So with N64 and Mario being such a big point and yeah. pointing you in the direction of wanting to be a game designer. When did you start getting into more of more of the tabletop, like the Magic of the Gathering, the Warhammer? When did that start kind of be, be get on your radar? So I don't create a division between video games and mm-hmm. tabletop games and board games. Yeah. They're all the same to me. So kind of, all right, I told you about nine-year-old Malika. I was very blessed to kind of fast forward, um, go to an art magnet middle school program and an art magnet high school program. So I'm definitely a child that was given a lot of like affirmative action Mm -hmm. uh, opportunities and opportunities that are supposed to stimulate, you know, kids from um, certain areas of the city and that kind of thing. And, um, let's see. So I, I had this sculpture teacher when I was 14 years old and he said, a lot of times when we make art, we go to the medium first and then the message. 
that's a stupid and backwards way of thinking about art. You should think about the message first and then choose the medium. And he was talking more in the context of fine art. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to make a painting. What am I going to make a painting of? Hey, I'm going to make a sculpture. What am I going to make a sculpture of? Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a piece of clay. What I'm going to make with that piece of clay. And so like, thank goodness, like I had from a young age when I was 14, freshman in high school, a teacher who unlocked my mind. And from that day forward, I wasn't like, hey, I'm going to make a video game. What kind of video game am I going to make? Hey, I'm going to write a short film. What kind of short film I'm going to make? Instead, I went, Hey, I want to talk about the environment and how we're screwing it over. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to talk about being the only Asian person in the room. Hey, I want to talk about um, immigration or, you know, like all yeah. these other th- things we want to talk about as a human being. I'm a talker, you know, <laughs> and then pursuing the medium. And since like from age 14, that meant th- that means I have to study everything. Mm-hmm. All right, kiddo. So. Um, I've tried music, uh, love doing it. I'm horrible at it. Super tone deaf, but like I've tried, you know, and I super respect Mm -hmm. it. I've, you know, studied acting. I've studied, uh, filmmaking, writing, uh, programming, all those kinds of things. So by the time I was in high school applying for college, I was looking at interdisciplinary art programs because Mm -hmm. that was my approach to making art. And I had narrowed down on either like film animation or game development because I had a huge passion for technology and, you know, the Venn diagram of maybe I'm also good at it. I don't know. I have like, especially back then you have like self-esteem issues. Yeah. And you're like, is it possible to be good at everything? There are Renaissance men. I want to be a Renaissance man, you know? Um, and uh, I found this fantastic program for game development. And again, man, like wonderful, smart people that taught me good things when I'm young. I was, mm-hmm. I was just so, you know, I, I realize that's a, a privilege and a blessing. Right. And um there was this book, uh, any game designers, you, you probably know this book, but if you haven't, um, game design workshop by Tracy Fullerton, I found that at my local library and another person who unlocked my brain and changed like the way I thought about things forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's one of those game designers that talks about games whether they be tabletop, whether they be ARG, whether they be yeah. physical games, whether they be sports, you know, uh, and she talks less about the the format, the genre, and more about your motive and the experience you're trying to create. Yeah. You know, and the best um, method to portray that idea. Yes. You have. Yeah. yeah. And then also fast forward even more to, you know, our original investor and co-founder at Hyper, Jordan Wiseman was my business of games professor at USC. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, you know, I think this is kind of old fashioned of me, but if it's not fun on paper, it's not going to be fun when you add the digital components. Mm hmm. And that just sounded right to me. You know, it was just like a gut feeling kind of thing. 
And I was trained at USC to make paper prototypes of everything oh, before yeah. I go to the digital. So for me, you know, for other people to be like, hey, when you get into tabletop stuff, I'm like, when I was born and started playing games, like there's always a, a mm-hmm. paper like prototype version of everything. So much so um, for people who aren't like, in, no, who don't know about game design, when you're like designing an iPad game or like something for the phone, some people like take sticky notes and they put it on their phone and they role play. Okay. Now I'm going to press this button and this happens on mm-hmm. the, the screen or uh, speaking of role play, I did a, a ex- I wanted to make a game about exploration and uh, me and my teammates walked down the street in front of my apartment in LA like crazy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, I, I, I shouldn't use the term crazy. And I, I know we were kind of reframing our conversation about around that word, but like for some reason, when adults want to have fun, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. But we, we were just walking down the street and we were visualizing the experience in the game. Okay. You hit start, you jump into the first level and we were actually physically walking down the street and being like, and then off in the distance, I noticed that tree. And because it's so, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a magical tree that has like glowing pink lights around it. I'm going to walk up to it. And so we role played and it like, like LARPed in a physical space what that experience was like emotionally. Mm -hmm. And then we knew what we, you know, the list of levels that we needed to develop, what we needed to model in Maya, like all that kind of stuff. And so uh, that has always been interconnected. And when you get to more like specific titles, Mm -hmm. all right, okay. We're getting past the the chess and the monopoly. Um, We also play games for research. So at my first studio job as a game designer, Uh, We had decided, hey, um, TCGs and CCGs are having a moment right now in Asia, but also our Hearthstone. Um, This was right before Hearthstone came out. And so we were playing Magic the Gathering. We were playing all the CCGs, all the TCGs, looking at Pokemon, looking Mm -hmm. at Yu-Gi-Oh! as inspiration for um, our mobile CCG. So... Like I had to play tabletop games for work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and it, it kind of all evolved together. It wasn't, you know, like I'm going to make video games now. So I'm going to play yeah. it. It was, it was like a natural kind of thing. And even as a child, I had curiosity about games. I remember my sister and I loved Gundam, the anime, and we oh, noticed so the Gundam card game at uh like target or walmart or i don't know and i remember with my sister and i we just sat down we put down the player mat and we like tried to figure it out and those japanese trading card games for kids <laughs> like kind of hard to figure out and we probably played it wrong but we had fun you know and so that that's like that's kind of all that matters right for sure um i also went to um school for game design and mm-hmm. more the digital art aspect. And one of the things I love kind of going off of your um, making things for the preferred medium and starting with an idea as opposed to just you want to make a game for X platform or card game was I love I always loved the game jams mm-hmm. where you had just a broad topic and then 48 hours to, with a small team to just come up with whatever you view that 
as to make it an experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were always so much fun as a not only creative exercise, but also as um, just a experimentation aspect to try to not be afraid to try different things and uh, see, see what comes out of it. Yeah. I, oh yeah. Anybody who like wants to try game design or is a game design student, you got to do the game jams Mm -hmm. and you don't have to overcomplicate things. Uh, I'm very proud of this one game jam game I made. And (laughs) you know how like everybody's like really gung ho in the beginning. And then at the end, it's like, it's like the developer, like the engineer and the artist is like crunching Mm -hmm. at the end. (laughs) The two of them are just like, pouring assets into like a unity project Mm -hmm. and then like other people like the writer is like um i can make some funny voice out effects at the end (laughs) you know but i'm gonna leave you guys alone and i forgot how we came up with the original concept i think it was something like well i have this 3d bike model that's really good but it was just a simple game where you're dropped at the top of a hill uh and it had like you do it three times. Mm -hmm. And so the first time you do it, you're on a tricycle and it's like a little tricycle with like streamers in the handlebars. And then if you die uh, or you just like right off the edge, cause like, man, you you do not have time to make anything in a game jam. Um, uh, You evolve to a bicycle, but it's like way harder to control. And I think we use an old school super Nintendo controller. So you had to just tap the left and right bumper mm-hmm. in uh, in time for the like the left and right pedal. And so uh, you usually like, crash land into a tree or something. <laughs> and then the third time the game uh, levels up again, you're in a wheelchair. And so it was just a simple game that was like tricycle, bicycle, um, wheelchair. And it was kind of inspired by the whole um when you're born, I guess kind of Buddhist, you walk with four legs because you're crawling. Mm-hmm. As an adult, you have two legs. And then as an old person, you have three legs because it's two legs with a cane. Mm-hmm. Um, just like that simple, uh, I guess, statement on life. But like I had a, I played to sit it afterwards because you have the little show and tell, right? Yeah. And like one of my professors was like, damn, you fucking got me, you know, excuse, excuse the language, but <laughs> like, um, cause it was just like, oh, you know, cause you insert mm-hmm. yourself, you insert yourself there because many of us have had that experience of learning to ride a bike. Now you're on that bike, uh, but it's like a little hard to control. It could be a metaphor for any challenge in life. And then at the end there, um, you have a new way to get from point A to point B, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're older. So, yeah, it's like that magical moment only happened because, oh, I don't have enough time. I can 3D model a bike real quick. Yeah. Uh, Somebody came to the game jam with an old school controller. How can we use it in like a new way? And a lot of fun. Yeah. It's those random decisions because of a lack of time or resources um, can really make some magical, uh, magical mistakes happen or like uh, creative outlets. Uh, And I think that's part of what made me has endeared so many people of like our generation and stuff to the old video games where you didn't have limitless palettes or super lifelike visuals they had to make do with 
small sprites and uh, more uh, restrictive gameplay mechanics. And like a tiny bit of memory. Mm hmm. <laughs> And yep. not being able to load things beforehand. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All those those creative uh, avenues. But yeah, I mean, it sometimes when people struggle with a blank mm -hmm. canvas or a new Unity project or whatever it is, the sandbox is too big. Yeah. So if you uh, if you're struggling, you can you can give yourself limitations, creative limitations. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, whatever I do, it has to be done by Friday, you know. Yeah. Or there's a reality. Most people don't have like millions of dollars in their back pocket. So what can I make for 300 bucks, you know, or $10,000 or, yeah. or whatever your budget is. Um, in addition, the way I design games is I always start with the goals. Mm -hmm. So from my art school background, I started off with the message. From my game design background, I start with the goals. Right. So, yeah. hey, maybe I want to talk about this is a, a theme I keep bringing up because I, I care deeply about it is humans are destroying the environment. So many good books, movies, comics, everything about humans are destroying the, the environment. We suck. We're the cancer of the earth. You know, <laughs> like it's something I feel very deep down to my bones. Yeah. Um, and uh, OK, and then we can kind of hone in from that like okay uh humans are destroying the environment and it hurts other humans mm -hmm. you know like that's something i'm super pissed off about not only is it bad for the environment oh well, you know like uh it could be about a sad polar bear it's also screwing other human beings in many deep deep ways yeah. you know can we can we can hone in a little bit more on that so we you know we have people in developing countries um, and so when we screw them over, not only do we screw over their lives, we screw over their deep and rich knowledge we overlook because it wasn't useful to capitalism. Right. Mm -hmm. So can you just start like honing in more and more and more there? Um, and, and then I'm starting to think about, you know, lost traditional folk arts. Right. And so yeah. maybe there's a game in there about a lost traditional folk art but at the core of it. It's about human beings destroying the environment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, now that I have like, I'm doing this live. All right. I did not premeditate this. I start thinking about my goals. All right. Well, what are my user experience goals? What do I want mm -hmm. the player to feel? Do I want the player to feel sadness for the environment? Do I want them to feel a uh, loss about what we're losing from human culture and tradition? Do I want them to feel angry or instead, do I want them to feel wonder for the things we need to save? Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to feel all those things. Cool, cool, cool. So now I outline three to five kind of emotional experience goals I want to yeah. have that I have design goals, you know, three to five, maybe three to six or something. All right. Okay. Um, one of my design goals is whatever interface I use, whether this is a mobile game, uh, a game you play on the PlayStation four with a controller or a game you play with rocks and pennies. Maybe it's a physical game. We're going to play mm -hmm. with rocks and pennies. Um, like what kind of medium would support this message and what do I like 
I've decided, well, if I want to hone in less on sadness and anger and more on maybe like the wonder of our lost traditional arts, you know, what mm-hmm. kind of interface, what kind of motions should the player have to do with their hands, their mouth? What should they have to say? What should they have to think to feel wonder for our lost traditional arts? You know, yeah. maybe you're using the player joystick on the controller in a different way. Maybe you're turning that uh, control joystick in a circle and it's like throwing pottery on a wheel, you know? And mm-hmm. that's like basically in a nutshell how I start off with new game ideas. That, it, that's a really cool um, breakdown of of your design process. That's really cool to get it. Yeah. I just came up with that. Maybe, maybe I'll make that game where, you know, you're, you're a a potter, (laughs) some kind of pottery thing. And that like turning your spinning, your joystick is, uh, kind of the main game mechanic. And, uh, you know, uh, people are always trying to like freaking, uh, you know, crush your pots, so maybe we'll do some cool sound design stuff where there's pottery breaking. Maybe I collaborate with a composer about what kind of, you know, mm-hmm. um, hollow vessels uh, make all sorts of noise. You know, yeah, the people there are people who play entire songs by filling up Coke bottles and putting different amounts of water in there and by blowing into them. You know, how, can yeah. we can that be the soundtrack? You know, and so you, I develop concentrically mm-hmm. from that. You got to have that core idea. Then you kind of spiral outwards bigger and bigger. Yeah. Throw in some of those analog triggers or something, pressure sensitive triggers. So you like mm-hmm. also shaping and applying different amounts of pressure to your to your pottery that you're spinning. Right. Or That's if cool. it's an iPad game, you know, they, uh, then I have yeah. to, you know, I got to put the business hat on. I am yeah. CEO, right? Like how many people am I trying to reach and who am I trying to reach? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, maybe is this an educational game? Like, do I want to have this in a museum? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's better that it's a touchscreen game. And then I'm using the literacy of our phone. You know how we pinch to zoom mm-hmm. in uh, on a phone, on a touchscreen. Sometimes some people like do that. Uh, instinctively because like I want to see if I can zoom in on this photo no I can't that app doesn't enable that right Mm -hmm. or maybe double tap and then like maybe it's more about um, when you do pottery you kind of are honing in that shape Mm -hmm. like I want a tall skinny vase versus a wide flat one and so maybe you're creating music by um, widening and um, narrowing a vessel you know yeah and so we'll have that folk feel, but in a medium that is new because museums have a crap ton of touch mm-hmm. screens. And maybe I can, uh, you know, for the kids who aren't relating to going to a museum and they just see this thousand year old pot, you know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe I can put this game in a museum and bridge that connection for them because they understand iPads like that's yeah. in their daily life. And it's bridging that connection to people who made pots 2000 years ago. Right. Yeah, that that would. Be- Anyways, that's no. yeah, that's just like, hey, <laughs> Getty Museum, are you yeah. <laughs> listening? <Hey>. Museums, <laughs> yeah, hit them up. Um, kind of, I'm curious because you mentioned the CEO hat and things have to be, you know, worth an investment and things like that. Let's say no, they don't. They don't <laughs> have to be worthy of investment. But I have to juxtapose wanting to put my dog through college. That is true. That is true. Uh, but if you were given 
in essence, a blank check to make a, a game uh, based on any property, whether it's a, a video game, physical game, mobile game, tabletop game, card game, what have you. What property would you like just die to work on? So an existing uh, IP or like a new like a new thing can be either. So I have this game that I wrote in grad school that I'm just sitting on, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes developers, creators, we have one of these like dream projects. So I I have a couple of those and um, I want to create a um, so I love fantasy, Mm -hmm. but fantasy can be inspired by any culture. Like it doesn't just have to be like medieval Europe elves and dragons and knights and princesses and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's this like very magical place where my mom is from in Southeast Asia. It's called the Golden Triangle. Uh, It's had a very like tough history. You know, there was um, poppy fields and opium and things like that and heroin. But uh, also a very rich cultural heritage, too, because it's the place where four, three to four countries, depending on how it's called triangle because three countries, but you can mm-hmm. kind of draw a square and there's four countries. So there's um, uh, Thailand, China, Laos, Burma, um, Myanmar, and all those cultures share borders there Mm -hmm. which is so fascinating any area where there's like many kind of states or countries sharing borders is fascinating already super cool to me and i wrote this game about uh it was inspired by kind of my friend's life story but about a little boy who was raised by a single mother and his father is kind of a local hero who died Um, my friend had a father who was a war hero, but he passed away when my friend was very young and, uh, he knew his father through stories people told him Mm -hmm. and even books and articles written about his father. And I thought that was super interesting to, you know, as you can see, I have like a pretty deep relationship with my parents. I love my mm-hmm. parents. I'm very yeah. grateful for them. Um, what is it like to know your parents through other people or only stories about them? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to write, uh, I had written this game about a little boy who only knew his father through like famous uh, stories of like, like, oh, he, you know, one time there was a, a tiger that was stalking the village and he defended the village bravely by risking his life. Just like really epic kind of folklore kind of mythic stories. What is it like to have uh, a relationship with a parent like that? Okay. And so, um, you know, this kid kind of runs away and gets lost in the woods. And where I'm from, the woods are just so beautiful. You just have this like lush green jungle like i can imagine the air right now when you breathe it's so moist and cool you know if you've ever been in the pacific northwest i would uh i would compare it to kind of like multnomah falls or even um the whole rainforest you know a temperate rainforest so it's not hot 
And mosquito as much as it's like cool and calming and get this, I, it's like, almost you, you cannot make this shit up, you know, like this is real <laughs> life. Like there's often mists that are like just wafting through these cool green dense forests. And so that creates a lot of opportunity for mystery and discovery and maybe horror. Right. And, you know, you're looking over the mountainside and at one, at once you see a kind of cloud. It's almost like the clouds are roaming in the mountains in these jungles. And then the cloud moves on and then you see like an ancient temple or something. Right. Yeah. And so I wanted to like have, I wanted this like kind of Southeast Asian fantasy setting that's dark and mysterious. And I wanted to have this personal story of the kid who knows their parents only through mythology, because I love mythology and folklore. Like we got to save that stuff, but we also have an opportunity to write modern versions of that. You know what I mean? Where like women are badass too, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, like, you know, we have Mulan, but like more of that. And also there is this story, this kind of messed up story my mom used to tell me. Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of like cross-cultural semiotics and things we have in many cultures. There's always a conversation. All cultures have a trickster character, yep. you know, oftentimes a fox or a raccoon or a Nazi the spider or something like that. Loki. Well, Sheba's needs yes, a crap, Sheba's. A crappy Sheba character. <laughs> yeah. So another character we always have is the boogeyman. And this is the messed up version of the boogeyman story I got as a Southeast Asian kid. All right. Um, I forgot his name. It's it's not coming to me right now because I'm in an interview and I forget everything when people <laughs> interview me because I'm on the spot. But I remember the important detail. So the Thai boogeyman version is a cannibal with a backstory. I kid you not. In America, there are boogeyman, you know, he's going to eat you. He's going to get you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Thai version is more effed up. Kind of like those ancient, <laughs> like, um, Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Yeah. You know, they like omit the like messed up shit that I don't, I forgot. Like, can I curse on this podcast? I'm yeah. giving you a lot of yeah. opportunity to bleep no, stuff good. out. Nope. Okay. So there's a lot of fucked up shit, like cutting off fingers you know like messed up stuff in older cultures i i think that's what it is mm-hmm. i think in america we didn't we don't have enough history and yet like i mean our real life history is, is fucked up but not our, our fairy tales you know what i mean so yeah um so the backstory of this cannibal in thailand is there was a soldier and he was in a survival situation There's different versions. Maybe he was going to freeze to death. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was starving. Okay. And he found a small child. And out of desperation, he ate that child. So like this uh, boogeyman, he was, you know, there's there's all this like backstory stuff. Mm -hmm. So it makes it more real. Like you can visualize it. 
And then after the war was over, he couldn't shake his taste for young human flesh. That is so messed up. It's not like America. Oh, the boogeyman is going to get you. Yeah. What does he look like? Why does he want to get you? What does get you even mean? Like, is he going to tickle your toes until you yeah. laugh and you so die? So many questions. Right, right, right. <laughs> so many plot holes. Right. But the Thai version, oh, you can... You can visualize this motherfucker, you know, he's, oh, yeah. you know, he's got the um, some kind of military uniform on, maybe camo. Maybe he's got the like, you know, the black eye makeup. He's mm. hiding in the jungles with the mist here because that's what we got. Um, and he has a uh, internal dilemma of, oh, you know, it's wrong to eat people, but I'm justified because I'm just trying to survive. I'm sorry, kiddo. And then the afterwards of he snapped and now all children are under threat because he has a drive. He has a motive, I understand, which mm-hmm. is young kids just taste better than all the meat on the planet. And my flesh, as I looked down at my young arm as a kid, when I heard these messed up stories, <laughs> uh, I checkbox that category. Holy shit. I better never run away from home. You know? Yeah. And so this video game I want to make come full circle is, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, kind of like Avatar The Last Airbender, except for I'm actually Asian and I'm basing it off my own culture. (laughs) Um, You know, the Southeast Asian folk, uh, modern folklore, where this kid who has a complex relationship with their parent because they never knew him, but they were famous, uh, runs off into the woods, gets lost and finds this male figure. And bonds to this father figure he never had, but he happens to be the Thai cannibal boogeyman. And so you have this complexity of, I want to eat him, but I still have maybe an ounce of humanity left. And so Mm -hmm. I have this survival horror game that I basically wrote where you are taught to survive and you bond with this father figure. That you never had, but he also wants to eat you. And then, you know, spoilers, yeah, you throw in a little bit of your father has always been there watching you, but he's being reincarnated as a tiger. And then more spoilers on top of that, maybe the father and the cannibal are supernatural because it's you have to be supernatural to live as a legend, right? You go beyond a regular tiger and a regular man mm-hmm. maybe killed kids. Maybe you never die, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're immortal now. So that's kind of my my whole premise. If there was a check that had literally the infinity symbol on it or just a very large number, I think it would make that game. That sounds so, so freaking cool. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there's, you are, you you are got, an, 
I know you have you've played a you've been a dungeon ma- or a game master and stuff. Yeah. But like the way you you are a, wonderful at painting the narrative and your ideas. I just have to say. Oh, thank you. I, it's it's a. I admit this is unlike the uh, the game about pottery. I have thought about this one for a <laughs> while. <laughs> Um, oh, but you know, and then you can throw in some Muay Thai, you know, maybe you, yeah. you have to have yeah, some maybe power ups, def- maybe a skill system, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like, uh, and you know, I love nature stuff, so like, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta live off of mushrooms that you forage, and then maybe, uh, uh, some of them are poisonous, and you gotta learn Muay Thai, and and then your Muay Thai f- uh, fends off a tiger, but then the tiger's your dad, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> all you know, all the little stuff in between. Oh, yeah. just, just the little things. <laughs> I'm still f- uh, figuring that out. But uh, <laughs> hey, if you have the ability to write an infinity symbol on a check, uh, DMs are open on Twitter, my friend. I mean, I can write an infinity symbol on a check. <laughs> I don't know if it will be backed by any actual like real life currency, but I can I can write the the symbol. I mean, can Can you imagine like going to the bank and like um. Uh, hey, I want to deposit a check. <laughs> then, like, just call their bluff. The infinity symbol, like, and it's it's written out seriously. Like, mm. it has the infinity symbol in the number box, and then like yep. somebody wrote in cursive infinity dollars and infinity cents, and then it's signed by like Bruce Wayne or like Tony Stark. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Seems then, legit. I don't know about and you. And then, like, and then, like, I don't know if the bank manager would, like, the teller would laugh or, like, hey, I got to call the manager, ma'am. Like, what would they do? I mean, that in and of itself could be its own game where you're trying to pass off this infinity check. Yeah. And you I have know. to, like, bluff your way into getting a bank to cash it. Right. Oh, my gosh. Or, like, <laughs> Oh, uh, or um, you know, like that movie, The Red Violin. Like you mm-hmm. are the infinity check, and then like it gets passed like from person to person, and like you could kind of like you could do a whole Fargo, like it's all about greed kind of storyline, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you can like, like you know, give the check like kind of like the power of influence, like like um, mm-hmm. Charles Xavier or some shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like you could, um, like how far, like the, do you make somebody's dreams come true and does it corrupt them and does it attract trouble to them? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This also was kind of an old Disney channel movie, the blank check, but Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot cooler. Oh, uh, I got to watch the Disney film for research. And just to make the game even cooler, your dad's a tiger. I, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. take that from from your game idea, <laughs> cashing an infinity check. Uh, surprise! Your dad's a tiger. Yeah, super yeah. exciting. Yeah, I mean, I love it. You know, let me tell you. Whenever I heard here, because I did not know about this blank check film, but whenever I hear somebody else made it already, that only emboldens me because I truly believe great minds think alike. Hmm. Yeah, if you want to make the comparison that I have great ideas like, you know, Walt Disney Studios. Well, thank you. Oh, yeah. Uh, released in 1994. So, <laughs> I mean, that could also be a selling point. I have it like on a box. Sequel to the Disney Channel 1994 motion picture masterpiece, A Blank Check. Right, right. And then Richie the Rich is like. check. 
is the the um like a crazy bad guy like uh yeah like um he's he's evolved like he got into like body modification and mm. like he's some kind of like modoc meets yeah i don't know uh the have Thanos the clutching the check yes like kingpin meets modoc kind of like character right right and thanos is one of his goonies Right. And you travel from bank to bank on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, important. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Owners of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's very worrisome. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a little it's strange. Like Marvel own or Disney owns all like the uh like video movie properties and IPs with that. And I feel like Hasbro is like toy Disney. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. But if it gets me like with the whole Magic the Gathering crossover with other other properties, I'm really hoping we'll get a Power Rangers magic set. Oh yeah, definitely. Um so I want that. like if people will give money for a thing, companies will take the money. And that's all I have to say about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, true, true. So but I wanna leave you with this one last question. Before we wrap things up, I don't want to take more of your your precious Sunday. But when all is said and done years from now, what do you want the legacy of Hyper RPG to be? Uh, <laughs> this question, um, I think let's go back to those pillars, you know, mm-hmm. if a viewer can if, if there's no more hyper for one reason or another, right? If people look at back at the time in which they watched hyper, worked at hyper, collaborated with hyper, and they go back to those pillars, you know, they had fun and they got to, you know, relish their nerdy passions and feel a sense of community with others while relishing those nerdy passions and they were having a blast. And those people who are looking back are people of all sorts of, you know, from all walks of life, different skin color, creed, religion, you know, body Mm -hmm. type, whatever, Um, ability, disability. Like, I'll be very happy. That's all I want. Perfect. Love it. And Thank I think, you. I, th- I think you are well on your way to do that. Um, I know I mentioned this earlier and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the effort and work and all the creative and fun things you all put on at Hyper um, have managed to add to the conversation. Uh, the interactive elements with chat that you put on with like you said, with the open API of Twitch, it's, it's such an, it's not just a show when you go to hyper, when you go to your, your guys' stuff, it's an experience and it's always a fun time and touching on how you, how well you all have done with including, um, individuals from all different groups and, uh, rocking that inclusivity and just continuing to push the envelope and 
try new things. It's it's just always so much fun. And the work you all put on there. Uh, thank you. Just as a viewer and uh, someone who loves to stop in and see what you all are doing. Thank you for the Im- immense amount of work that you put in. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great interview. Happy to come back anytime. And um, <laughs> and thank you for like uh, creating an opportunity for me to nerd out this Sunday, too. Um, it was a lot of fun. No, of course. But uh, where can people find you online? What do you, what do you all have cooking? Um, feel free to plug away and, and do what you need. Would you would like? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So all links are at hyperrpg.com. We're streaming Monday through Friday, twitch.tv slash hyperrpg. Um, you can find hyperrpg on almost all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Our Discord's popping. And then you can at me, hello underscore Malika on Twitter and Instagram. Talk to me about game design. Talk to me about cooking. Talking to talk to me about game design, cooking, and all the fun stuff. I'm here to have a blast and also hopefully help uh, guide and navigate people too. Perfect. Perfect. And also be sure to stop in so they can send their doge to college. Yes. That's the real aim, <laughs> to send doge to college. I have high hopes for him. <laughs> Maybe he'll invent a, a, a cure for something, you know? Yeah. Or a dog to human translator, you know, like mm-hmm. a vocal translator. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to teach him to be a tech director. First, he's got to learn to sit in front of the board patiently. <laughs> The patiently is the, the problem. That's, that's the that's challenge. The trick. We all got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Stream Deck, I mean, he can use his paws to to do that. So it's yeah. just being accurate. It's, it's uh, tough because he doesn't have thumbs. You know, we had to have know, a conversation about this, but maybe I'll develop a new interface for him. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe or like a prosthetic thumb for dogs. Who knows? Oh, could be. Oh, but like why, you know, the dogs don't have to be more like people. We got to we got to create experiences just for them. Everybody is included. <laughs> it's true. Every creature is included. Look at that. Except for birds. I don't have anything to do with <laughs> birds. I, I, I like, think I'm pretty infamous for this. I'll leave mm-hmm. you with this. Um, love and have massive respect for birds. They are so awesome. And thus I fear them. I want nothing to do with them. I hope you have a great time. All you birds listening to this podcast. Hope you have a great time out there. Flying. Pooping on things. Uh, making your nest. I don't, ha- I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. And even you birds that don't fly. Like penguins. Yeah. But they too. fly underwater. They're, they're, they got it. True. True. Um. But thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion. Or you can share your own favorite RPG or RPG memory directly with me on Twitter at SolidSnake120. And as always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed. <laughs>